You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. We're going to read First uh, John chapter 2. We're going to read verses 15 through 17, um, and then I'll pray and, and we'll get started. The Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that, is in the, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for, again, this day. Thank you for church. Thank you for the people that are here, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity that I have to stand here. Lord, I pray that you'll guide my mind, direct my words, help me to say the things that you would have me say that would be helpful and edifying. Lord, I pray that you'll be with everyone that's here this morning, sitting in these pews. Lord, I pray that you'll clear their minds, help them to see what you would have them see today. Lord, we thank you especially today for the mothers as we honor them on this day. Uh, We should honor them every day. Thank you for the mothers that we have, the mothers that um, are raising our children today. Lord, I pray that give them an extra special blessing. Most of all, we thank you for Jesus and everything he's done for us. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, so if uh, you've been in church any amount of time, these three verses are pretty familiar to you probably. You've probably heard messages preached about not loving the world and the things that are in the world um, numerous times as I have. And as I was reading and studying and just getting prepared, uh, the Lord really had me zero in on this, this passage specifically. I spent a lot of time there. Um, and I know as pastors said numerous times, and it, especially for me as I don't preach as often, anytime I prepare a message and a sermon, it's like I'm preaching right to my own heart first. Like it hits me before I gets on the paper, before the thoughts start forming and how to, how to present it. The Lord hits me with a lot of things and, and makes me examine myself. So as I stand here and, and preach, I don't say that I've figured it all out and I've got it and you need to figure it out now. It's just that we need to figure a lot of this stuff out together with the Lord's direction. So that's how I approach it um, this morning. So verse 15, love not the world. Uh, if we go to John 3.16, we have, For God so loved the world, where God loved everyone. He gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves every, each and every one of us in here, more than we can probably fathom with our finite minds. Josh Collins today told me this morning how many terabytes of information our brain actually is. And I don't remember the word he used, because it's bigger than the words I usually use in most of my sentences. Metabyte which is how many terabytes? 10,000 terabytes is a metabyte, makes up our brain. It's a lot, our brains. They store a lot of information. And even with all the information and how complex our brain is, we're finite. And there's no way I don't think we can fully understand how much God loves us. Not until heaven, I don't think we'll fully understand exactly how much Jesus loved us and the sacrifice he was willing to do and give so that he could be with us for eternity. And so we come across these verses here where it tells us not to love the world or the things that are in the world. And the things of this world 
there's some good things in this world, and God has made the world, and he made things for us to use, to possess, to be used for his purpose, and for the way that he intended. The things that you have access to, your car got you to church this morning. That's a good thing to have in this world. Your house has your room and your bed and your sheets and your nice warm comforter that you probably don't need as much anymore as summer is coming, but it has your refrigerator with your food in it. It has your family. It has your, the couch that you sit on or the Davenport, as my grandma calls it. The Davenport, everybody else use that word anymore? The Davenport. Um, it has all your things. It has all your possessions. And there's nothing wrong with your possessions and your house and your car and all the things that you have. God has given them to us. He's allowed us to work jobs, to earn money, to buy things, to live our life, but we're supposed to use them for the purpose which he intended, to use the things by his grace for his glory. But even as believers, even as Christians, we need to be wary about our things, about this world, that we don't value the things and value this world and seek them and push for them to the point where our flesh and sin abuses those things. And there's a line there, and it's a fine line, and it's something, a line that we all cross throughout our life, maybe even every day. The love of the world, but still living in this world and having to use the things of this world to fulfill God's plan and God's purpose for our life. But we have to be wary about how much we desire those things, how much we purpose our life and our heart after those things. The world will draw your heart away from God. It will. If you let it, if you do nothing, the world will pull your heart from God. That's the devil's purpose. Once you're saved, he can't touch you anymore. You're on your way to heaven. There's nothing he can do about that, but he can pull your heartstrings. He can draw you away from God. And the more we love the world, the more our love for the world prevails in our life, the more our love for God decays. They can't exist at the same time. You can't love the world and love God. There's a line there. You can't have them both. And the more our love for the world prevails and the things of the world grow and, and f- take our focus, the more our love for God and love for Christ falls away and begins to decay. And it's something we all deal with. You've dealt with it in your life. I've dealt with it in my life. It's a day-to-day thing you have to manage. And the thing is, you can't do it on your own. You can't do it on your own will. You need God's help. So that's verse 15, talking about don't love the world. That's the love that we're talking about there, is to love it and desire it and have so much passion for the things of this world that it pulls our heart away from God. As it continues, it says, If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That just saying, again, the more you love the things of the world, the less you love the Father. It just automatically happens, even as a Christian. So as we go into verse 16, the Bible classifies our love for the world in three different ways. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So we're going to go over those three things today. And what I'd like you to do is examine your life examine how you perceive your world that you live in, your day-to-day life, and compare it and contrast it against what the Bible is saying here. So the word lust, Bible means, or the the dictionary is is just a longing or a passionate desire 
for something. That's what lust means. So first, the lust of the flesh. So in Sunday school with the men, we talked about anger. We talked about the old man and the new man. Once you get saved, you have a new man to put on. The old man we're supposed to put off. The old sinful carnal part of us, once the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, we're supposed to put that stuff away. The old man desires things of the body, the flesh. You fight that every day. Even as a Christian, you fight your flesh. You fight your carnality. If you don't fight it, your carnality wins. Your flesh wins out. And that's what starts pulling your heart away from God. The appetites to indulge in all things, that's, a, that's the lust of the flesh. It's, it's, it's wanting something so bad to, to indulge in anything that excites us, makes us happy, gives us pleasure. And it doesn't have to, it can be anything. It, it could be a non-sinful thing, but if it's something we push for and lust after, where it's our purpose and our passion, so much that that's what excites us, that's what gets you up in the morning, They're usually wrong desires of the heart when you push them that far. This is our natural inclination, though, as human beings. We have to constantly battle that because we all want things. You all want a nice car, a comfortable house, nice bed, a new Davenport that you can sit on, the next big TV, I mean, 70 inches, is that big enough now? 4K, HDR, the next, I like TVs, the next thing, we just, we want it and we desire it. And what do we do? We, maybe we'll work overtime so we can have a little extra money so we can get those things, so we can pay for that car payment, so we can get that nicer house, so we can maybe even save for our kids' college. Whatever the thing may be, in and of itself, nothing wrong with having things. But it's when it's our purpose in life and it drives us and it motivates us to do and to push That's when we border on the line of lust of the flesh. Your sin nature will win against your own will. If you're trying to fight it on your own right, you're going to say, no, I'm trying to live for God. It's not about all the things. I'm going to do it on my own. But you don't get God involved. You will lose. Your sin nature will beat you because you're human and you're going to be like, all right, that's fine. I really do need that thing. Or you're going to focus on the wrong things. If you don't get the Holy Spirit involved, if you don't get God involved in helping you fight that sin nature, you'll lose. And the lust of the flesh will win. And we all fight it. There's not one of us in here that is exempt from that lust. It's those things and pushing for the next new thing. Secondly, the lust of the eyes. So this specifically, we think, well, that's looking at bad images or looking at things we shouldn't look at, which is indeed true. But what they're talking about here specifically is covetousness. To want something that's not yours. Envy. Desiring something that you don't have, but you want it so much that it has that passionate desire and longing or lust for it. Our eyes, every single one of us in here, our eyes are delighted with rich and riches, rich possessions. Our eyes like those things. No one sees a super nice car driving by and like, oh, what a hunk of junk. I would never want that thing. Now, some of you may go, yeah, well, if it's a Ford, I won't. Or, yeah, if it's a Chevy, I wouldn't. Or, a da- or whatever. Pick what you want. But my point is, we like nice things. We do. We want nice cars, nice houses. You fill in the blank. Whatever your passion is, whatever your hobby is, we like nice things. And our eyes are delighted with those riches. We're sometimes desirous of our friends or our neighbor's possessions. Or maybe their job. Or maybe their bank account. 
man, if I only had another 10000 if I had $10,000 in the bank, everything would be perfect. Then I could do this, 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 this. And we desire, we want, we covet. And man, if I could only be like that, or you strive so much for it to attain that status, that's the next big thing I want. And what's the next big thing on your list? What's the next thing you're saving up for that you want to get? And again, nothing wrong with saving money to get things. As long as the things that we're using, the, the money and the things that God is allowing us to have the health to earn, we're using to do for him. But what's that, what's that next thing on your list that you work the overtime for? Or you do without something else for? Will it glorify God? Or will it just give you a, a better way to watch the, your favorite movie at home? Again, there's nothing wrong with that. But where is your focus? Where is your passion? Where, what are you driving for? Where is that longing? Even as Christians, we can be sidetracked by the th- those things. And again, the devil wants to. He wants to dangle whatever he can. He, he knows you. Don't think the devil doesn't know you. He knows you. He knows what he can dangle in front of you that will pull you off to the side. He knows what will get you sidetracked from doing what you should do to falling into the lust of the eyes. Number three, the pride of life. Our ego, right? Our ego. The selfish instinct that all humanity has to fulfill our own wants and desires. The pride of life. to Not only status, right? To, to be a somebody, to have a title, to have honor, to be someone of some merit or some importance. You know, especially in the job world, to work your way up the ladder to be the man. That's, we, we strive for that. We push for that. And our human instincts are to try to be the best at whatever it is we do. That's the, when people want to be the best, the, the, the world will say they have drive. They have chutzpah. They push. They don't give up. They just push until they get what they want. The pride of life. Thinking that our life is the most important thing there is. The pride of life to do our own will, to see our vision for your future, to see the vision for your kid's future, and do whatever it takes, no matter what, to achieve that. When that is your focus, when you laser beam focus on that aspect, there's a lot of things in your periphery that go, un, go neglected, that go unnoticed. You'll miss things in your own heart. You'll miss things that happen in your life because you're so focused on that one thing. You're driven to fulfill your own desires. And it's a tough line to draw because you should be successful. You should work hard. If you're a Christian and you work for an employer, you should be the best employee they have because you represent Christ. You should be the hardest working, least complaining, best employee that is there. will do more than asked, go above and beyond because you represent Jesus. We should do that. That's, I think God expects that of us. But we should do that with that in mind, that we represent Christ. And we want to give him a good name, a good reputation. And then when people learn that you go to Eastside Baptist Church, now you represent Brother Spencer. You represent other people that are in this church. When they see you and they think Eastside Baptist Church, does your reputation 
blend with what pastor wants our church to be or what we want our church to be. There's a fine line there of being able to work hard, be focused, but make sure that's not all we're living for. The pride of life, that's how America, the American dream is set up. If you work hard enough and do your best, you can have all the things your heart desires. And while that is true, as a Christian, that's not the end game, is it? The end game isn't to have all the things our heart desires. The end game is to live for Christ, to see others saved, to make sure more people go to hell because of you, or go to heaven because of you, and don't go to hell because of your reputation, because of your testimony. That's what the purpose is. The honor, the applause, the titles, and the respect of all those around us, that's the pride of life. Wanting that so bad that that's what our longing is. That's what we are desirous of. That's all we can think about and that's all we push for. Ultimately, it's to be, honestly, the pride of life ultimately is to be in control at the center of our life. To have control over it. How many of you out there are control freaks? Don't raise your hands. Just, I've got to be in control. Everything has to be a certain way. If it's not a certain way, we work until it is a certain way. And if you can't deal with it, get out of my way. No one, that's no one in here, right? No, that sounds like zero of you or me. But ultimately, the pride of life, if we're not careful, and there's, there's something to be said about order, right? God is not the God of chaos. It's order and control. But when we have to be in control at the center of our life, we're missing the point. We're not the center of our life. We shouldn't be. Who should be at the center of our life? Jesus should be at the center of our life. God should be at the center of our life. But we, even as Christians, get that out of order. And the pride of life creeps into our heart, creeps into our plans, creeps into our future. And we allow ourselves to be put at the center of our own life. And we push Jesus a little bit out. And for, at first, he's just in the inside ring. He's still there. He has influence. But the more we're in the middle... The more our pride of life rules our life, the further our arm stretches Jesus out. Maybe not even intentionally, but when your will and our desires are number one, God's automatically take us back seat. Always. So as Christians, we have to make sure that we are careful that the pride of life does not overtake us, that our desire and our longing and our passion for things for the next best thing, for our pride, for what's best for us, does not take center stage. Because when that happens, the love of the Father decays, as I mentioned. It goes away. Take your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 3, if you would. Colossians chapter 3. Start in verse number 1. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 1. If ye, then, being risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on the things of this earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Pay attention here. Verse 4. When Christ... Who is our life? Read it again. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, 
then shall ye also appear with him in glory. So, is Christ your life? Is Christ everything to you? I'm going to venture to say, based on my life, that I can't always say yes to that. That Christ is not always my life, because Chad is my life. And a lot of times Chad's life gets in the way of Christ being my life. Like recently, like daily. If we just live our life the way we think is best, Christ does not become our life. We become our life. And again, we put ourselves in the middle and focus on us. Again, we have to take care of ourselves. You have to take care of your family. You have to provide. You have to live in this world. But it doesn't mean we have to focus, again, verse number two, set your affection, set the things you want, you desire on things above, not on the things of this earth. Why? For you're dead. We've read our, our life is like a vapor. Our life is over so fast. Our life here on earth, once you're saved, this, this life is just, we're just passing through. We're not here forever. This is just the pit stop to our final destination. Our life is hidden in Christ. That's where we belong. But we focus on this small fraction of time and take all our attention on that and don't focus on the things, the affection of things above. Christ should be our life. I mean, that verse, every time I go through my reading and I come to this verse and it says, when Christ who is our life, that, I mean, I can, very rarely can I get past that comma without stopping. For Christ who is our life? He's why. He's the whys. He's the wheres. He's the why because he's everything. That's what Christ is. But we get it out of whack. We become the why. Even as Christians, we can do that. Verse 17. Why should Christ bear our life? Why should we focus on things above? Because, verse 17, the world passeth away. And that lust, that desire, that passion you have, that longing also will pass away. That will cease to exist. The, the thing that you focus on so much and desire and it's all you can think about, that will be gone also. The world will pass away, that lust will pass away, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And we've heard it. It's almost cliche. If you've been in church any amount of time, it's almost cliche to say that the world passes away, but the things you do for God will last and if you grew up in church, you've heard it so many times in patch, youth, peewee patch, and you get an adult, it's like, oh yes, I've, I know that mantra, I know that. And it loses meaning. It loses reality. But it's a bazillion percent true that the things you do on this earth will be gone. A hundred years from now, everyone in here, if God doesn't come back, you're dead. hundred years from now, every single one of you are gone. Think back to 1918, all the things that happened in 1918. A hundred years ago, all those people are dead. All the things that they did, all the houses that they strived and built and nice cars that they had are rusting somewhere, falling apart, rotting away. And a hundred years from now, you'll be hopefully in heaven if you know the Lord as your Savior. And everything you've done here, all the things that you've done are gone. It'll only be the people that you reached with the gospel. The relationships you've built with fellow Christians, the relationship you built with your Savior, those are the things that will matter 100 years from now. Those are the things you'll still be enjoying 100 years from now. 
You won't be enjoying your house 100 years from now. No one will, probably. They'll probably knock it down to build, I don't know, a Kmart. No, they don't do that anymore. Another Walmart. Your house will be gone. You won't be enjoying your house in 100 years. You'll be enjoying your relationships with people, family members that are gone, the Lord himself. You'll be enjoying things of heaven, the things above, not the things of this earth, because they will pass away. I'm going to finish up by reading uh, James Burton Kaufman. He is, uh, wrote a, a lot about the Bible, and I, I thought about putting it into my own words, and I couldn't do it as well as he did it. So bear with me. I'm going to read. A lot of times that can be boring, but I'll try to read to the best of my ability here. Speaking of this, he said, All the vain things that so charm, seduce, and dominate the lives of people during their brief pilgrimage upon earth are actually endowed with no more preeminence than a mirage. Whatever glory or eminence may come to man is only for a fraction of a moment. He builds for himself a house, a palace, or empire, but the whirling suns brush him into the grave. And where is he? Whatever achievement, success, or honor may place upon his head for an instant some distinction or accolade, tomorrow cannot remember it. This tragic quality of all human glory is the reason God tells us to look above. Is the reason for, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and this will be the last thing we do. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The tragic quality of all human glory is the reason for these verses right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 18. The Bible says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So, as I mentioned at the very beginning, examine yourself. Examine your life. Examine your goals. Examine your focus. Examine your longing, your passion. Does the pride of, does the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, does that describe where you're at? It probably does at some time in your life. It might right now. But the good thing is, is we have the Bible that shows us how we can do things differently and how we should do things differently. And the song, Because He Lives. Again, I could not have picked a better song, Jared. Because He Lives. That's why you can face tomorrow You know, the things that you do that are eternal will last. And that's, as Christians, how we're supposed to live our life. We're supposed to live our life for the things that are not seen, the things that are above. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to take these verses to heart, to take the lusts and the love of the world that beats us over the head every day, 
that tries to distract us from those things that are eternal, Lord, I pray that you'll help us as Christians to adjust our lives, to adjust our hearts, to push for what you want, push for the things of the eternal, realizing that the things in this earth are indeed temporal, last for just a moment. Lord, we need your help with it. If we try to do it on our own, we will fail. Please, Lord, help us. Help us to want to succeed, to want to look for those things that are eternal. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know you as their Savior, that this is the end of all. This life here on earth without you is it. When it's over, that's all the good things that happen in our life is here on earth. I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that they won't walk away from here today without knowing you as their Savior and knowing that heaven is their eternal and final home. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.